It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble. Try to take the league from more of a mom and pop feel to a real true moneymaker. It's something that can be an asset. Maybe the big rich people in Canada more than want to own because it actually makes money. First down. Well, welcome to the Third Down Gamble. Uh, podcast. We are ready to go today, and I have with me the regular crew. We've got Don Charbon, we've got Heath Graham. Welcome, guys. Thanks, Pat. Great to be back. And to quote Marv Levy, I mean, where else would you rather be than right here, right now? I love doing this show. It's all... no Nowhere else. I had an absolute blast with Justin Dunk the other day. He was so pumped. And even though this is the backstory that nobody knows... In the morning, uh, we had recorded the entire interview. I went to listen to his audio, and it was nothing but static. So I had to get a hold of him, and five hours later, we redid the whole show. And he was so obliging, and I was so impressed with him. He's going to be back on the show for sure. A wealth of knowledge, and it was a great podcast. I certainly enjoyed listening to it. Justin Dunk really applies his craft very, very well. Excellent. Well, let's get into it, guys. We've got a few things to talk about, kind of a plethora of ideas. So let, let's get right into it. Um, going back a couple of weeks, um, it was announced that the CFL is looking to have at least a 25% capacity rough guideline for fan attendance. And I, I guess I'm wondering your thoughts, gentlemen, is that going to be doable in the current state of where we are provincially with COVID-19? Province to province is going to vary. I feel pretty confident in Saskatchewan that we can make it happen. Vaccine numbers are rolling out very quickly in this province. We don't seem to have an issue of having extra doses sitting in freezers waiting to be distributed. They're coming in and getting into arms. So I think that's a great sign for this province. I know uh, there's some other provinces that are struggling a little bit and we'll really have to kind of wait and see. Positive numbers of amount of vaccine arriving in Canada daily now. So I think with the uh, the increase of vaccines available, as long as people continue to be excited about getting them, we'll be able to get a majority of us vaccinated very quickly. If you look at the situation across Canada right now, if the CFL was to start its season when it wanted to, there was no way this was ever going to get off the ground. Ontario, Quebec, British Columbia, Alberta, even in Saskatchewan, to be quite honest, the the strain on the hospitals, the strain on the ICUs, ventilators, you name it, is just enormous. Third wave, uh, variant wave, whatever you want to call it, it is running rampant right now. And until we collar it and, and rein it in, there was no way that the CFL could start now. August the 5th is still out there. Will it happen? Possibly. There's so much dependent upon what the federal government's going to be able to do in terms of getting uh, more supply of Pfizer in, Moderna. And if that schedule stays on the mark, I think then we could see a realistic 25% in the stands. Now, whether that's going to be a requirement of each fan that they're going to have to produce their little card saying that I've been fully vaccinated, that's a question, I think, for a jurisdiction to decide, not necessarily the league. I'm certainly hoping that the August 5th deadline is something that we have. I know that uh, CFLPA put out a notice today, again reiterating to players that nothing has been written in stone and and that uh, the players need to continue with their job until we hear otherwise. But I'm again hopeful that 25% capacity is something that can be done. We've seen the rapid 
rollout of vaccines, not only here, but I believe in other jurisdictions as well. Everyone goes and does what we would expect the majority of people to do and get that vaccine. I think that uh, getting 25% of people in the stands, you can apply some spacing options in there still. I'm, I guess for me, that it brings more of a question of how would CFL teams decide who's the 25%? I think it's got to be your season ticket holders obviously are going to be a large chunk of that, if not the entire chunk. And you're almost going to have to have a lottery system to determine which games season ticket holders are going to be able to attend. Now, you might want to look at 10% of that 25% capacity being walk-up or single-game traffic because you still want the, the casual fan to be involved in that sense as well. But I think you the loyalty has to lie with the season ticket holders and you've got to figure out a way that's fair. It's going to really be contingent on how many of those games you're looking at a 25% capacity, right? If you've got four home games, every season ticket holder is going to be able to go to one. If it's two and you're hoping to amp up after that, it's harder to to determine who goes to game one, who goes to game two, etc. I think that's a very valid point. If it's easily divisible into quarters, it's going to be very simple. Otherwise, there's going to be someone who's feeling potentially a little ripped off. I guess it's up to the member teams to determine how they're going to do that because if some go to two and some go to three games, you're going to have some form of uh, payback to, I would think, your, your season ticket holders so that we can make that go. So that's one of the things that we don't talk about is in the business office at the CFL, uh, in the business office of each one of the franchises, they've got a lot of work to do to prepare for all the what-ifs as well. It's not a flat line number that everything fits into and that's exactly how we do it everywhere. Montreal, they could have huge season ticket drive, and that stadium isn't as big. So they got more headaches there than they would, say, in BC, where the season tickets maybe are 15,000, but they've got tons of room to figure it out. Yeah, I was just thinking that Commonwealth and BC Place are both pretty cavernous stadiums, and you've got a lot more ability to to appease the season ticket holders. I guess my I kind of have the prairie focus of thinking of Winnipeg and, and Saskatchewan, and those are very rich season ticket driven teams that unfortunately those fans are going to be the ones that probably have the lesser opportunity to go see multiple games early in the season anyway. That's the thing. Where does this start and where does this stop? Is 25% your first home date? Maybe it grows from there. If, for instance, the league starts on August the 5th, what about two weeks later? What about two weeks after that? And that's where I think you could see these numbers significantly change. So you may have a lottery to go to game one, but then afterward you may be able to say, okay, we're going to split two and three, 50-50, and then move forward from there. I guess the other thing to consider as well as we don't know where every team is going to start. There was talk about the Eastern team starting in the West because of the COVID situation. So uh, again, somebody had talked previously about the importance of revenue sharing across the league in a situation like this. And if you're going to have the Eastern teams all starting out West, but all of a sudden, by the time they're coming back to their home stadiums, that capacity has gone up. Their potential to make revenue right from day one is going to be higher than that of the of the Western teams. So <laughs> again, it's a nightmare for the league. It's, a, it's pretty tough for each individual to determine how to best get these fans in. Consider too, that if you're an Eastern club, any of the four, and you're starting out West, and let's say you have to play three games out West to get yourself back to a point where you can come back home. That's hotel bills, 
there's going to be other expenses that are going to, per diems that are going to grow as you stay out west. So it's not exactly a simple solution where they're going to benefit totally. They're going to take a huger hit to start before they can recoup some of those uh, losses later in the season. Perhaps this is where, you know, when we hear about making the backup plans for backup plans for backup plans, I, I, I think we're certainly there. You are at a point where you've got to take a look at all these potential options if you're a CFL club and the CFL has to say, okay, what if we're four games? What if we're six games? What if we're two games at 25% and we can slowly go up? And I guess they'll have a lot to learn from other organizations and other countries, to be honest, around the world as they near that 75% threshold for vaccines. How will they return people into large group settings? What are going to be the expectations? I'm assuming... If we're going to games this summer, we're likely going to have to remain masked. If there was anything to be learned in this last 12 months, it was about what the NFL did and how they managed. And there were a lot of lessons that can be drawn from what the NFL did. And not the least of which, and this is maybe for another podcast, but the whole business that they could survive without anybody in the stands. And the CFL has got to get their business model or their operations to the point that maybe they don't need zero attendance, but they need far less than what they require right now to make a team viable. Leagues can potentially learn from from other, and, and whether it's leagues or whether it's concerts, things that are going on. So let's use the, the UK, for example, as they are closer to that vaccination threshold where they, they believe they have herd immunity, they're going to put a series of steps in place for how do we reopen our economy? How do we get people back into large communal spaces and how do we do so safely? So while it's not specifically tied to a league, I do think there is still some things to learn from that. If the UK has soccer going on and and maybe it's one of their minor leagues going on and they see how that works for fans, I think leagues like the CFL and other leagues can learn, okay, is there any incidence of spread of COVID when you're bringing lots of people together. What are the restrictions? Do we need to have fans in the stands spaced two or three seats apart, or can we have them side by side? And if so, what are they wearing? Are they in masks or are they without masks? So those kind of logistics, which sometimes we forget about, I think can still be something that we can glean from other places. But look at Major League Baseball. They already have fans in the stands. You can already take notes from what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Even in California, there were fans in the stands. And that was probably the most restrictive state of any, they're allowing people to go to baseball. Now, granted, there is significant spacing and masks are being worn. I think that we have to still be in this protective mode. The CFL doesn't want to be a spreader event. So that's why my first premise was, do we all have to show cards that we've been double-dosed? It is interesting. I mean, they're going to have to have something, I would think, so that you can prove that people in there are safe because a team wouldn't want to put someone who's potentially at risk and miss that liability. We all have seen that as we've evolved. You used to be able to cram the stadium and have people on the concourse, and now it's more restricted because of fire measures and safety measures. And I think the CFL is is certainly going to take a look at that, even when it comes to COVID. No, I I certainly have no problem showing a card that I've been vaccinated to get anywhere. I'm, I'm all for it. However, I am not ignorant to think that there are going to be season ticket holders and probably longtime season ticket holders that are not going to be so cooperative when it comes to that. So it's a the league really has to tread water carefully here because you do run the risk of alienating a lot of very staunch supporters who are not on board with 
wearing a mask for the greater good, if you will. And and what are the ramifications? Do they lose those season ticket holders? Do they try to make some sort of compromise with them? And that, that's a whole other moving part to this entire fiasco. Well, Craig Reynolds said in a press conference the other day that the best thing that Rough Rider fans can do, and I imagine this applies to every other CFL team, is to get their shots. If you want to get back to playing football in this country and get the CFL back on the field, get your shots. So it's not very difficult math to get your head wrapped around. It's two needles in the arm, and there's a lot more opportunity to watch the CFL. So why, why hasn't there been more publicity from the teams urging that? The CFL, some of the teams have been out and quite vocal about it. Even our little bumper that we made about be a team player has been used in CFL circles. I, I do think you see letters from general managers to their players saying you need to get vaccinated or go out and get vaccinated. You also see individual players on Twitter saying, I've done my part, I've got vaccinations. But I think you made a very valid point in your earlier argument, Heath, that yes, it's about having some fans who may not agree with what happens and that restriction of freedoms or however they're going to see it. But at the same point, you've got to understand this league also relies on sponsors. And if a sponsor doesn't necessarily agree with it, you don't want to potentially lose sponsors or alienate people who may be looking towards sponsorship as well. So I think when, a, when an organization goes there, they're leaving it to Health Canada, in our, in our case, to talk about getting vaccinations and what's the purpose. And I don't see a lot of businesses coming out around North America saying you should and you must. That's not necessarily their purview. They're leaving it to Health Canada and saying, hey, once once we have vaccinations, our business is here for you. We're ready. We're going to be prepared. And, and at times they're saying we support the vaccination process, but not pushing through advertising that you need to go out and do that. I don't know what the risk is by promoting that you need your vaccinations. I, I think it's a pretty easy campaign on behalf of the teams. I think I, I'm not an ad man per se, but I can visualize showing highlights of, of memorable moments for that team and saying, hey, remember how great it is at Mosaic Stadium? You want that this year? Get your vaccine. Remember, were you there when Milt Stiegel broke the touchdown record in Winnipeg? That was great. Wouldn't you like to get back there and see what the Bombers do this year? Get your vaccine. I think it, you know, every team can run with a campaign like that and and really promote it. And unfortunately, they're not doing it. We've seen all the teams speak out about various other political commentary with the Black Lives Matter movement and equality and all those sorts of things, the uh, LGBT community and, and inclusiveness. So why not vaccines? If they're going to be vocal on all these other things, and this is what's going to get people back in your stadium, jump on it and, and make it known. They actually do talk about it. The commissioner will say something about it. The team president say something about it. GM say something about it. It's not a marketing campaign, but it is a sort of a, a plea to do this. Fair enough. There certainly is lots that can be done. However, I, I would say right now that given those plans for plans for plans of what we have to do, is this a priority for the league right now? Well, not likely. I think the league's got a lot of different irons in the fire and options to take a look at. And the people uh, who are working for the organizations are probably somewhat cut down because of COVID. And, and so they're being asked to do an awful lot. And at this point, with the season not even moving ahead, it's hard to potentially advertise until it goes. And maybe we'll see that. Maybe if come June, we get notice from the commissioner that yes, the league's going to move ahead. We feel confident. 
with what we're hearing from health organizations that we can get at least 25% of fans in stands by August 5th and we can move forward, then maybe we'll see something come out further from the league when they've kind of got everything in order and moving ahead rather than being in limbo and trying to figure out what it is we have to do to move ahead. Prime Minister Trudeau has said that by September, probably the end of the month, that Canada will have enough vaccines, everybody in this country. If the CFL has to take August off to allow for that, they could probably start playing in September. That means a loss of two dates for each team at home. Four games probably overall. So they play a 10-game season. Not impossible. Still get a viable playoff run. Still get a viable Grey Cup. That may be the safer route. Instead of worrying about 25% in August, maybe they'll start 50% in September and then by October. Well, maybe our podcast can be one of the first to go out and say, everyone who is listening, if you haven't got your vaccine yet, get out there and do it because as CFL fans, we certainly want to be in the stands. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. Second down. Welcome back. As you are listening to this, we will be hours away from the CFL entry draft for 2021. My question is, are there enough offensive line prospects out there to keep all of the teams happy? (laughs) Isn't that always the number one pick for most teams? It really seems to be. I think getting a quality Canadian offensive lineman that can be a starter is what everybody dreams of when they go into this draft. I mean, I think there's some other skill positions out there as well, but it seems to generally be pretty offensive line heavy. It usually is, and that's why a lot of people tune out from this draft because it just isn't that thrilling. You don't have quarterback, quarterback, quarterback being selected in the first three picks. Having said that, one trend that is starting is that defensive backs are starting to be picked up early rounds of the draft. And this is, I think, exciting because the tradition of having an all-Canadian or a four-out-of-five Canadian offensive line now may be replaced by the need of having a Canadian corner. It can be very impactful having that ratio buster, if you will, in certain skill positions, right? You look at Winnipeg and Andrew Harris uh, as a running back is a huge asset to that team. And if you've got even two very quality defensive backs that are Canadian, it can be a huge, a huge advantage to your team and allow you to put international players in some other spots as well. Well, look what Toronto has done in free agency. They have two Canadian linebackers. They have about 5 million Canadian receivers. They have really loaded up. I heard an interesting commentary about them, which is a lot of other teams are going to be looking at what happens at Argos camp because somebody's going to not make the team and they're going to be a quality starter. When you can get those quality starters, whether it's, like you said, a defensive back or a linebacker, they're, I think, less utilized than than those positions like you say offensive linemen receivers teams have one or two usually that they're going to be able to either start or at least one starting with some quality backups but but those teams that have those racial busters it's huge right it allows them to take a look at at potentially using an import in a different position in the cfl you have to have seven nationals on the field now you have to designate 
prior to the game where they're going to be, four offense, three defense, five, two. Nothing saying that you are restricted to the seven. You can play more, and we know 10 years ago, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders started 10. One team that's uh, one team that's really in tough actually in this draft is Montreal. They do not have a first round pick this year. Unfortunately for them, it stems from the Johnny Manziel trade. The gift that keeps giving. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So they are picking at number 10 and then not again till number 27. And they lost Lacombo and Enoch Mwamba this year, who are two of those really ratio-busting Canadians. So they've got some work to do to uh, to find some some quality players. And unfortunately for them, they've kind of shot themselves in the foot as to when they're picking and how frequently. And the other thing to remember in when watching the draft is that it's not a typical the first round, the first team gets to pick first, the second round, the first team gets same pick. It's a serpentine, am I right? Snake, yeah, the snake serpentine, they're calling it for sure. Where you go from first to in the first round, you'll be last in the second round, which does impact a little bit about what teams will be doing. If you're the Rough Riders and you pick two and 17, that's a big gap. You got to make sure you hit it. You bet. I, and I do like that because without having the season, I like the fact that everyone was in the hat and we pulled them out. And the Serpentine type of draft makes sense to me, certainly for this year. The teams that it seems to benefit are the ones that are right down the middle. BC, Edmonton, Ottawa. Has anybody heard any talk of a possible Canadian quarterback in the draft anywhere? We, we talked about the NFL draft going quarterback, quarterback, quarterback to start things off. Is there a sleeper in here somewhere that somebody will take a flyer and draft a quarterback? Or is that something that most teams will just look at possibly bringing in as a free agent? I think there'll probably be some quarterbacks who do get drafted, whether they're intended as quarterbacks or they're going to ask them to move to DB or receiver, which tends to happen fairly often, right? If you've got a really strong athlete and you can utilize them somewhere on the field, let's draft them as a Canadian, put them on special teams even and move them to a different position which is unfortunate. I know we spoke to this numerous times about if the CFL just allowed one Canadian quarterback per team, then you'd, you'd start building it out. And then we'd maybe have that excitement that you spoke to of having that quarterback picked early. Who is it going to be? So Heath, what are you thinking are some of the needs for these various teams this year? Uh, well, going through a couple of the rosters, I think um, BC is really in need of some offensive line help. Uh, so again, we talked about drafting offensive linemen pretty uh, pretty early and pretty frequently. I think that's something that they will definitely be looking at, at doing. Ottawa, now their philosophy on building the team is kind of go quarterback Canadians and build out from there. Uh, so they have actually a lot of Canadian talent on the roster. One spot that, st- that does kind of stand out is uh, Brad Sinopoli is getting into his mid-30s. So do they look at trying to find the heir apparent for him in a quality Canadian receiver? I wouldn't be surprised if that's something that they grab in the first round as well. Um, We talked about Toronto and their big signings of Mwamba and and Judge this year. So linebacker is not something they need to do, but they might need to me. They may look at adding some defensive line depth uh, for their team. Everybody else, I think there's, there's various. Calgary has a lot of Canadian talent as well. So they could be all over the board in, in who they pick up. Winnipeg's kind of gone the route of a very solid American offensive line, and they do have the benefit of having, having Andrew Harris in the backfield, as I said. So I would think that, as Don alluded to, a defensive back might be something that, that they look to grab. And Saskatchewan did sign a couple of Canadian linebackers. I don't think they're at that same talent level 
as Judge and Mwamba, so they might look at adding another body in to that linebacking core uh, to compete with what they've got. The one thing I often see from the teams in the CFL is they try to also bring someone who's a local player back home because we know you may forego an athlete who's maybe ranked a little higher to get someone who's a home player. So think of someone like Saskatchewan with a DB like Lacombo. Um, you know, he's well, he's from BC. He's played in Saskatchewan. He's familiar, and that might be someone they might be able to keep for a long time. And I think you see that also with a lot of those offensive linemen, right? If they sign a contract and they play for two years and then they kind of go back home, tends to be what a lot of them are doing. So why risk that pick? Pick someone local who's maybe a little lower and let them develop. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Brandon Labatt's a prime example of that too, right? He uh, he did get drafted by Winnipeg, played a few years there. When the opportunity came to to play in Saskatchewan, he jumped at it and has been a stalwart on that Riders offensive line for many years. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to uh, checking it out. I think there's lots to see on TSN. We've got some great coverage, cfl.ca as well. And I know, Don, you've you've spoken to some of the great coverage that, that uh, different media people do around this league. Three Down Nation is fantastic at what they do in their coverage. They did a mock draft uh, with their last episode. J.C. Abbott joined John Hodge and Justin Dunk, and that was a lot of fun to listen to. They did just the first two rounds, and that was it was kind of cool the way they were thinking. Well, I'm sure we'll all be tuning in to TSN uh, when, we, when we're on tomorrow night and uh, get a chance to at least see the first round and find out who our uh, teams have been picking so we can get excited about the season. Remember, for proper physical distancing, if you're close enough to shake hands, you're too close. The recommended distance in CFL terms is two yards. Don't get a no yards penalty. Make sure you stay back at least two yards to maintain proper physical distancing. Third down. What's in a name? We have a couple of teams that have gold in their uniforms that are still considering what their name is going to be. One of them is north of the border. One of them is south. Which one do you want to go after first? Well, let's start with the CFL. Edmonton has yet to announce the name. We thinks that they have picked it. They will probably remain as double E. If I had any sort of coin on this, I would put Elk or Elks as the winner. If that's the case, when do you announce? Well, as I've stated before, there's a pretty exciting moment in the CFL season coming up very shortly, the CFL entry draft. I think that's a perfect opportunity to launch a new name. I don't necessarily know if they need a full logo and everything, but if the EE is staying, then there is no real need to change. So I think it's going to be with the first round selection, the Edmonton Elks select so-and-so. I love it. That would be awesome. That's the way to do it. I entered into a little contest that the Turf District had, and congratulations to them, by the way, 200th episode that they pushed out. Pretty impressive. During that episode, they asked the question, when do you think Edmonton's going to reveal? And I thought the draft, logical to me. Others pushed towards the end of May. Some went into June. Some people even said on a home date opener. (laughs) And I'm thinking, what if you start on the road? What's your ticket stub going to (laughs) say? Don't, don't, don't you want to sell at least some merchandise before you get there? Like <laughs> That's the thing. That's exactly what you want to do. So you don't want to dawdle. 
and you may as well get some goodwill and some run-up prior to this. You know there's going to be backlash over what name comes out. It doesn't matter if it's Empire. Well, it won't be Empire. But Elk Hounds or Elks or I forget what the other, Escape or... Any number of those. (laughs) They will have some backlash because some people are just wedded to what was. And will take some time to work up to the new name. This is an opportunity for Edmonton, I think, to get some runtime prior to the season to get the name out and promote and, as you say, sell merch. This is a great opportunity. If it's Elks especially, I mean, my goodness, you can see all kinds of hats with horns coming out of them. Oh, it's just endless what you can do. And I imagine they've been already discussing this and placing the orders. As I mentioned previously, I was living in Winnipeg when the NHL returned. And there was a lot of talk about, will they go Jets? Will they go something else? There was a whole slew of names tossed around there, Polar Bears, Falcons, etc. And pretty much every hockey fan in Winnipeg was glued to that NHL draft because they had let people know they were Actually, I can't remember if they let people know they were going to announce, but the rumor was they were going to announce their team name at the draft. And they did. Mark Shifley was the first draft pick of the new NHL Winnipeg Jets. They didn't have the logo in place yet. He got a an NHL logo jersey. But as soon as the name was announced, uh, the draft was actually in Minneapolis. So there was a lot of people from Winnipeg that had traveled down. And you could hear the buzz and the commotion in that in that venue when the team name was announced. And I know we're in a COVID situation. The CFL draft isn't on the same scale as some of these other uh, major sports draft events. However, there are going to be eyes on the TV, probably more so than in a lot of other opportunities over the next couple of months. That's going to draw some people in there. And if there's ever an opportunity to announce the team name and start building something, it's with that first round draft pick this year. Wouldn't TSN love the idea that there was a buzz coming out that Edmonton's new name would be announced? That would generate a lot more viewership and help them get more eyes on that draft. And the CFL certainly would win because Edmonton picks fifth, so you'd have to wait for a little bit if that's the only reason you were there. And you might enjoy a little bit of the flavor of the draft while you're waiting. I think it'd be a an awesome way to do it. I don't know if they're thinking along those lines. The draft day is the best way to get it out there. I couldn't agree more. I think that that would add not only the hype of the draft and players coming in, but again, remember those players haven't played for a while. So the CFL and and the, the broadcasters do, as you said, Don, an excellent job across the league, the people whose job it is to know those players. But this takes people who really don't understand, haven't been in to watch any of the uh, players through U Sports, so it gives them the opportunity to focus on a good news story for the CFL. I think it's a good news story, as as you alluded to. There'll be some people that are naysayers, but for the most part, this is a good news story, and people are going to be excited, and it's going to generate a buzz, which we need to do for the CFL. I just don't see another opportunity to have an event like this to get those eyes. I mean, in the, within the city of Edmonton itself, they could probably do some sort of promotion if they had a specific date. Uh, in mind that they can they can announce this but as far as eyes across the country media and everybody watching the draft is the opportunity to do that so 
you know, we talk a lot about the CFL and the business plan and, and this, that and the other. And in my opinion, if they don't do this on draft day, it's a missed opportunity. I totally agree. I, You get two months, three months of lead time to get your product out there. And there is going to be a lot of merch. If you listen to that Turf District show, Andrew goes off on how bad he wants new merch. So he is just one of thousands that will probably get on board. Well, if you're, uh, if you're listening to us, as soon as we drop, you've only got a couple hours and you can see if you're listening to us after, let us know what you think. Were we right or were we wrong? That's one we don't have to put a poll about because the answer will be there by the time this drops. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll try to get that on Twitter right, right away here so people can start looking at it. Put the question out there. Now, south of the border, there is another team that apparently went nameless. Well, we know they went nameless for the last season of the Washington football team. When the Rough Riders name was tossed about as a possibility, I kind of went, what? Really? You can't be any more creative than what's already there. That is one of the things that a lot of Americans do know about the CFL is that we did indeed have two of our nine teams named the Rough Riders, and it was the butt of many jokes, and to some degree, rightfully so. Now, Don has done a great job on this podcast of explaining the history of the East and the West rugby unions combining into the CFL. Both teams were named Rough Riders prior to that happening. We all know that. Americans look at a, a silly nine-team league with two two teams named the Rough Riders, and now there's talk of the Washington team jumping on that moniker and going with the Rough Riders. That's too much for me. Yeah, I, uh, if it were the other way around, I mean, the NFL would be all over the CFL saying you can't take that. Certainly the CFL probably doesn't have the uh, wherewithal to, to sue for naming rights, but I, I think there's other options out of the 30 that they are purported to be looking at that, that will potentially suit the club better and there's some that i i wouldn't want to touch with <laughs> uh well there's some weird ones let's just say that well edmonton kind of shied away from eagles because of the philadelphia eagles again there would be that duplication we do have duplication already the detroit lions and the bc lions how much of that do you want as little as possible if you can choose a name <laughs> i mean if historically they came up and were happen to be the same i i think that's a little more forgiving than choosing two within North America in the same sport. Now, if you're Washington, I know this is a CFL podcast, but let's just play around with this. If you're Washington, do you have to have the R on your helmet? No. Why not? Why? Because the, the R the R wasn't necessarily a big part of their logo. It was for a while. But over the last however many years, as far as I can remember, Mark Rippon in the Super Bowl, it was the, the logo Canadian quarterback. Um, it was it was a a logo and not the letter R. The Edmonton team, their logo on their helmet is synonymous with the double E. I know if we want to get into helmet history, it hasn't always been that way, but it certainly has as long as I can remember. The double E in Edmonton has always been that way. It has changed a little bit over time, but when they first put a decal onto their lid, it was the double E. And they have stayed absolutely consistent to those two letters. Okay, there you go. And and the R hasn't been part of that logo um, on the helmet in Washington in quite some time. There are some some R options on here that I think, um, well, one to me kind of makes sense. 
that they've talked a bit about history and that would be the red tails that kind of goes back to the Tuskegee Airmen and some some history there uh, to, to honor them. Um, the other ones that are on this list, I mean, Razorbacks, again, you've got a, the uh, University of Arkansas Razorbacks. You've got Royals. You've got the Kansas City Royals in baseball. Renegades, maybe they can get some old Ottawa merch and they've got a logo already done. Uh, problem solved. What do they do about the Maple Leaf? <laughs> they can, they can uh, Photoshop that out. Somebody with better skills than me can just rub that right out of there. Uh, but as far as the R's go, I think, like I said, if I had to pick an, an R team on this list, then I would go with Red Tails. I, I actually agree with you on that one. And, and I also agree with what you're saying about the connection to the brand and the logo from before. I think most people, unless you're real historians of the league, aren't necessarily going to equate the R with the former club that Washington had. I, I think, you know, I, I don't see that it has to be the R. I... I not sure I like rubies. That That's one I would not be naming it. Um, there's some other ones on here that I, I take a look at and think, okay, Swifts. Some of the, the, I just don't see some of those rolling. And it's similar to what we talked about when we were talking about Edmonton. There's some that seem to work and there's some that just left you with a kind of a blah feeling. One of the names listed is Defenders. And don't they have a DC Defenders football team in the XFL already? So is that just a crush them <laughs> why would you even have that on the list that's yeah, it's strange like some of these i think are, are they the defenders or are they the guardians wasn't there a was there a guardians new york was that the new york guardians in the right so so they've got two on this list of 30 already that are that are xfl names and again as far as competing with other leagues like i said we've got razorbacks we've got royals we've got warriors there's some lack of originality in a few of these if you were to ask me other than Red Tails, which ones I actually do like, I think Griffins is a good name. Um, what else? Just reading through the list. This list was compiled by John Breach on the uh, CBS NFL webpage on April the 15th. So you can go back and refer to this if you want. Okay, sorry about that, Heath. Go ahead. No problem at all. Thanks for the clarification. Aviators, I mean, it's, I don't really feel like Washington has a huge aviation history per se. Um, commanders, I don't mind commanders, Washington majors. Um, but again, they've got like Royals and Monarchs and, and if you know your American history, the whole purpose of the revolutionary war was to get away from the Royal family in England. So I don't understand why you would want to tie the city of Washington in with, uh, with a Royal handle. I do like some of the names, and it's a different way of thinking, but I like some names that go back to the Hogs. If you think about the old Hoggies and the name of their their offensive line when they were a powerhouse, being able to run down people's throats, I mean, that that's where the name Hoggies comes from, right? <laughs> In my opinion, when you're talking about offensive linemen, I think of the Washington Football Club. So, I mean, I like some of those. I'm not sure you necessarily want to be tied to Hogs, but Razorbacks kind of falls in. There's maybe some natural... Um, excitement when you're making some kind of cheers too. I think a cool name is Demon Cats. I think that's got some sort of flair to it. Uh, I'm I'm curious as to why there's so many references to ocean faring. They've got brigade and just stay away from Rough Riders, please. Uh, that's been taken, and there's probably a team in Regina that would be pretty upset if you tag that one. So we we talked about the. CFL and, and possibly Edmonton launching their name in conjunction with the draft. 
is there any kind of deadline or or have you heard any rumblings as to when Washington might launch a new name? I haven't, but that is something that they have to get league approval. The NFL and the way they conduct their affairs when it comes to branding, promotion, it's far more centralized than the CFL. I wish the CFL actually would follow that model. And uh, then we wouldn't have the myriad of helmets worn by the BC Lions in the early 2000s. The, um, it would be far simpler, I think, if there was a, a date that they had already in mind. But the NFL, I think, is in charge of that. So that's probably what they're going to go with. I wouldn't be totally surprised given the lateness in front of the NFL season that we may see them as the uh, nameless ones one more time. Yeah, certainly not a very swift process that they're in. I, I, I'm thankful that it's with the CFL in Edmonton. They're taking a look at, at this in, I think, a, a more timely fashion. I can't see us hitting the field. Um, they had an extra year because there was no games played last year, but I, I can't see the team hitting the field without a uh, some kind of name here in Canada. Washington had that same year, though. Even though they were playing, they could have done this on the other side, they could have had contests. They could have had all kinds of things running. They just didn't bother. The important thing is that you're seeing progress, though. This is uh, an ownership group in Washington that for many, many years said they had absolutely no interest in ever changing the name. In, in one, on one side of the equation, yes, it has taken over a year. It's, it's a long process. But on the other hand, the fact that it took them so long to get to the point of even considering that they were going to change the name. I think they've got it narrowed down to a, a short list of 30, if you will, but they are making progress and, and uh, for the right reasons. And I think we'll, you know, we will see a, a new team name when, when it's appropriate and hopefully sooner than later. But if it's one more year with the Washington football team, then it's one more year as the Washington football team. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Third Down Gamble can be found on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. That's spelled at T-H-I-R-D-D-O-W-N-G-A-M-B-L-E. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth watching.